festivals, football, flannels. Some say fall is their favorite time of year. And this fall, there are now updated COVID-19 booster shots designed to help protect against COVID-19 variants. If you've had your primary series, schedule an updated COVID-19 booster shot appointment as soon as you're eligible. And don't forget to enjoy the foliage. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. That, that, that thing that you said, it was like, I just wanted to know that I wasn't crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. deep. It is deep. And you know what the difference is, is that when I felt like that, I wasn't speaking up. I internalized yeah. all of it. Exactly. Internalized all of it. And you know what? Like, I, I really need people to hear, like, that is the way the system was intended to be. Ooh, talk about that. You were supposed to feel shut down. Imposter syndrome based on white supremacy. That's because we don't meet the white standard or the proximity to whiteness. Speaking up and going against the grain, that's rooted deeply in our history, at least here in the United States. And so being able to show up and be your authentic self and find safe spaces, that in itself is a resistance. So you feel exhausted. You feel like ain't nobody got your back. But that's meant to make us feel quiet and not share and not, you know, be grounded in our power as a community and actually change something. That's intentional. That is the way the system is created. And that's why sometimes when you are the only one speaking up, it's exhausting. You move job to job. You're like, I don't have somebody in my corner helping me fight the good fight. Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien Dueras podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. Before getting into the episode, I need to give a special shout out to everyone that registered and attended our first ever in-person live recording of the Quien Dueras podcast. First of all, it was a sold out show. We hosted this event in partnership with Samsung at their Samsung A37 studio space in New York City. I don't think y'all even understand how dope of an experience it was. Y'all had to be there. But if you weren't there, go check us out on Instagram because we're starting to post pictures, highlights, videos from the actual event. Overall, people were just in awe of the quality of production that we put together. Someone even came up to me and was like, yo, how many events have you done before this? Like, I'm sure, like, is this your biggest event? I'm like, biggest? This is the first. <laughs> so people were just impressed. Some other emotions that came up, people told me that they felt inspired and empowered to dream bigger. People were raving about the DJ. Shout out to DJ J Fuse, who was putting us in all types of moods. My mom was about to get on stage and start throwing ass. The audio from that event will be posted next week. I'm excited for y'all to hear it. That said, let's get back on schedule because this week we still got a dope episode. In fact, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Ayana Kelly. If I had to summarize, I would say she's changing systems con sazón y corazón. 
She's a diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging consultant, podcast host. She was also selected by MTV for a Hidden Healer series and recently visited the White House as a speaker. Things that she's passionate about include social justice, intersectionality, and mental health in the workplace. I'm really excited for y'all to hear this dope conversation because I had a hard time keeping up with all the gems and quotes that she was dropping. For a full bio, please be sure to check out the show notes. For now, let's get into the episode. I think a lot of people use this word in a performative way. You're like, oh, we want you to be authentic. Okay, but do you really? Like, can I speak Spanglish? Can I use AAVE? Because I don't think I don't think I really can. Right. And so I to me, authenticity is being in a place that I can be completely myself, align with my values and be free. Right. Like I don't have to think about it is is this person cool? Can I say this? Or is this the right place for me to talk about, you know, my some of my social justice initiatives and stuff like that? If I'm questioning it, if I have any doubt in my mind, I'm not being authentic to myself. Oof, you said free. Free to be myself. I, I think yeah. like when as you were speaking, I thought of the word like safety as well. Yes. But it is interesting though, because I've heard that in like most jobs that I've been, in fact, it's often like a value. It's like, we value authenticity. We want you to bring your most authentic self to work. And you're saying you've heard that from jobs and corporations as well? Oh yeah, 1000%. And me having come from the HR and diversity, equity, inclusion space, like I hear this all the time. It's one of the things that we're tasked with, right? To create a culture that people can thrive and be their authentic selves. But what you're really asking people to do is be authentic to the work that supports your business and makes you money. You're not necessarily putting the person in an authentic space. You don't really want their kids screaming in the background of that Zoom call. You don't really want people to get away from the work that is going to make you money. Essentially, that's what it's about, right? And so when I think about authenticity, I ask the question, what does that really mean? Do you want people to be in a very structured way? You want a mission to redefine professionalism. Like, is that what you're talking about? Because that's a whole different construct. That's not authenticity. That's putting people in a certain box that is going to make you comfortable. But if you really want people to be authentic, then allow them to be that way without repercussion, without inequities, without out some of these structures that are meant to put us on different pegs. Because it, it goes a completely different direction when you say, hey, Black women, I want you to be strong. I want you to come to the table. I want you to make decisions. And I'm not going to be offended by your power. I'm not going to be intimidated by the amount of information that you know about this particular subject, even though I'm the executive, even though I'm the VP. Mm -hmm. That's what that is. So tell me about your first experience when you were like, oh, you want me to be myself? Yeah, let's do it. And then you were met with resistance. My entire career. So tell me. <laughs> I'll be well, I think I'll it, be I think it's interesting because <laughs> when you experience it early on, I think you, you respond a certain way compared to like if you experience that same exact experience 10 years down the line. I think you have potentially like a different skill set, 
um, uh, yeah. on how to even handle that situation. So let's talk about early on, maybe first first time you've experienced that resistance in your authenticity. Yeah. So that's kind of tough because as any other Latina, I feel like I've had a thousand jobs at the same time. Right. I served in the military, <laughs> but I was still going to college and I was still doing all this other stuff. Interesting. And yeah, so I served in the National Guard. For those who don't know, like you serve on the weekend and two weeks out of the out of the year. But you have, you know, the possibility of being called up to active duty and stuff like that, which I have been. And I didn't really feel it in the military because in the military and and this is not the same for everybody, but at least for me, when I was in uniform in the particular areas that I served, I was still able to be myself and to be honest with you, it was probably like supported for me to be strong and be a certain way because it was the army. Right. But once I got to and what do you corporate mean? America. Sorry, Go you said it. strong a few times. I'm wondering, like, what, what like uh, maybe have you been called strong? Do you identify strong? Like, what does strong look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm still you. working out strong in therapy. So mm -hmm. I, like I'll preface with that. But to me, in those experiences, it's being able to show up, get that grit. Like even though shit is hard, you still keep moving. You still keep getting shit done. You know what I mean? Like you're able to balance all of that and continue to persevere in certain, certain situations. That's what strong means to me. Um, I was still able to be vulnerable and still address my feelings like don't get me wrong all of that being in tune with your emotional state is absolutely important you cannot be strong without having that element um so i'll be clear with that but i was really able to step up i know how to manage i know how to run a household before i was legally able to right and so I just used all of those skills to lead my squad, to run shit when I needed to. You know what I mean? Like, I've been activated to respond to hurricanes and, like, went into automatic, like, all right, like, let's find these logistics. Like, what what kind of equipment do we need? What kind of people do we the people that we need? All this other stuff. Right time, right place, right uniform is basically what we say in the military. And that, like, I fit those qualities pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um where the army was not so good is that they don't really like you addressing their feelings and they say they do, but they don't. Um, I got out of the military actually just a couple years ago. I served for almost 10 years. So um, it's fairly recent for me, but I was in corporate America at the same time. And I noticed that when I tried to lead from my bottom of the barrel position, people didn't really like it. They just wanted me to say yes and do what they told me to do. What do you mean they didn't like it? Like, was it like um, these s silent signals? People just give you looks or certain words, like people actually give you feedback? I think it was both. It mm. was both. But the stuff, it's it's mask in a certain way. It's, oh, well, we're not going to try that right now. We're going to go in a different direction. Or mm -hmm. that's not really how we do stuff here. You know, maybe another time. Or you should probably apply to this other position that's better for your skills, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe this isn't the right place. Right. I think for so long, I didn't even know who I was. Like, let's be honest. I didn't know who I was. So I didn't know what being authentic meant. 
And so when I was being challenged in that way, I crippled. I just kind of like, all right, well, I buckled and I'm going to step back. And I guess it is what it is. So I guess, you you know, to your point, I did have a different skill set. Um, you know, I worked also with the federal government and that right there, that was the start of my demise, but also my self-discovery because I was going into who I needed to be. I started therapy. I, you know, was growing my family, and then I keep getting all these roadblocks on things that I think are great, but are not necessarily valued in a place that the system has existed for hundreds of years already and they don't want to change. And there's a very specific demographic who runs it and Mm -hmm. they're not open to new ideas, new generations, et cetera, et cetera. So you have so much experience in the military, like being a leader. And I've actually spoken to my friend about it. And I think he was in the army as well. And here he is, for example, I'm talking about leading a team in like life or death situations, right? I'm talking about leading a team of like dozens of people. Mm-hmm. The pressure that goes with it, right? Meanwhile, I worked with him at Meta, and at Meta, he was an individual contributor, but he was applying to manager roles. And people would like not discredit, but disregard any experience from the army. Because and they would tell him that he didn't have any manager experience because he didn't manage someone. He doesn't have the skills to be a manager sort of in the quote unquote advertising industry. And I thought that was fascinating. But like literally he had 10 plus years of experience of managing teams. He and he had way more experience than his own manager in managing teams. But like (laughs) the funniest part to me is that when you read job descriptions it like for Meta or like any tech company, it's like. Um, we need you to, to <laughs> it was like, we need you to work through high pressure situations. And he's like, I'm sorry, are you talking about like submitting an Excel doc before 5 p.m.? That's high pressure? Yeah. Like, yo, yeah. they don't even know the shit yeah. that I went through leading teams in the army. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it's fascinating. So, like, yeah, it's so these ironic quali- you bring the, that up. These qualifications, but I, I think of you and like this dichotomy of like you being told not told, but like acknowledge and value for your leadership skills, your strength, your vulnerability in one side, yet you're also going into this corporate environment where those same skills aren't accepted. And you're like, well, which part of myself do I show up with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I've had the same issue. And it's almost like now you got to ask, like, well, what type of leadership are you looking for? Are you looking yeah. for a yes person who's who's been groomed in your particular organization and that is the person that you want to be able to put in that manager role because they're going to do what you want them to do? Okay, cool. Then that's fine. Then say that. Put it out internally and promote that person, right? But I have had the same issue where people tell me I don't have enough leadership experience to manage people because we're we're thinking about leadership and professionalism in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the culture that we come from, we've been leading since way back in the day. <laughs> that That's just the way it is. And especially Latinas, we are the managers of our households. We've been doing that stuff since we were young and we were groomed to do so. And then I go into the military and then I naturally do it in places where I have to almost manage up and teach someone how to manage me because I'm such a high performer. That's not a, that's not a cocky statement. It is, I just naturally perform at a high level 
And sometimes people don't know how to manage that. And it's true. They, they just don't like the life skills and the background that qualifies me to be a leader. They would prefer someone who is coming up, climbing the corporate ladder, saying yes, pleasing the C-suite and doing the things that make people comfortable. And the second that you challenge that, which is why I've made some recent career changes, it's uncomfortable. And mm, that's not what we were looking for. Right now is not the time. Well, when is the time? When is the yeah. time to make people uncomfortable? Because without making people uncomfortable, you are not going to see change that you really want to do. If we continue yeah. to put comfort and and just complacency, then all these other efforts that we talk about, including the, you know, the black community, the people of color community, like everyone, that is only performative. Until you confront your own biases about what leadership is, about what professional is, or what authenticity is, we are not going to see a shift until the people who need to be uncomfortable start feeling okay with being uncomfortable and then moving beyond it. That's yeah. it. And I, I love the fact that you brought up the word professionalism, right? Because a lot of what we've spoken about is, is you know, perceptions about leadership. But in, in what ways do you think your authenticity even comes at conflict with what people perceive as professional? Yeah, I think all of me. I think literally me showing up is an act of resistance in itself. Mm. I showed up today with bare face, curly hair for a reason. It's intentional because me five years ago, I would have you know, straightened my hair into submission. I would have thought I had to look a certain way. I would have worn heels. I would have worn a different blouse, all that stuff. So small things. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, my massage therapist told me, he was like, these heels are actually not good for your muscles. Like, this is why your body hurts. And I was like, mm -hmm. say less. Got rid of them. <laughs> but I, I think it's fascinating, even with like heels. Let's take heels, for example, right? Like, mm -hmm. there are certain companies in the airline industry, flight attendants, women, from my understanding, for certain companies are forced. It's part of their policies. They have to wear heels, essentially, like in, in the walkway and while they're working, right? But I think other times there isn't necessarily like a formalized rule. What a lot of people do is on their first day of work, they look around in the office, they do that visual test, and they just assume that they have to wear heels based on what everyone else is wearing, right? So, yeah. or, or family, they're like, you, you're going to go to work like that? So what was it for you? Because you said five years ago, like, which one of those gave you the indication that you had to show up a certain way presenting wise like appearance aesthetically it was definitely that unspoken rule mm -hmm. and and family and external people be like you gonna show up like that you're gonna go to the interview like that don't wear red wear something nice and pastel you know what i mean red. like those nuances color. yeah nuance like red for some reason you know like dinas wear typically yeah. the red lipstick and like i'm, yeah. I'm gonna show up right well I literally had this sold to me, don't wear red lipstick, wear a very neutral color on your nails for your outfit, like stick to the nude colors and navy blue and black and gray and all that stuff, almost to mute yourself. Like, think about that. That is to dim your light. That is muting yourself yeah. so that we are not perceived as too loud, too spicy, too against the grain and like going against the norms that we really need this job. So we gonna conform to what, you know, corporate America wants to see for us. So it was that external, but as soon as I started finding myself and understanding that me being 
louder than someone else or have curlier hair than someone else or being darker than someone else is actually a gift and not something that they can use against me is when I realized this isn't for me. If you cannot be comfortable with me showing up this way, that's your problem. And I'm not going to stay in this situation. I'm going to walk away from it. I'd rather perceive, like, protect myself and my, my peace than to conform to make you feel comfortable. Because that's not what I'm about anymore. If you're uncomfortable, that's your problem. You got to figure that out. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of speaking engagements. And every speaking engagement, someone says, listen, Pavel, like, I want to be my authentic self, but I'm scared. I'm like, listen, I get it. We're all scared. But like, and then I ask the question, I'm like, who wants to work in a toxic environment? No one raises their hand, right? So then I ask people like, wouldn't you want to know if you if where you work is toxic? How the hell are you going to find out if you don't show up authentically? Like, I think you want to know if it's scary oh, yeah. so that you can then make a decision for yourself if you want to leave. And it doesn't have to be a new company. It could be a new team. It could be a new manager. There's so many, but it's kind of like finding out you're underpaid. Like, wouldn't you want to know that? So that you could then yeah. make a decision for yourself. One thousand percent. One thousand. It sounds like you had certain experiences, let's say um, pushback on who you were. And you went through this phase of like self-discovery, which I love. Like what sort of questions did you ask yourself during that time? Ooh, that's a good one. I had a lot of questions. I, I, to answer to to get into that i feel things really really deeply and i'm one of those people where i can feel energy in a very different way and i can perceive nonverbal communication like pretty spot on and i would just pick up on some of those small things that that we see like you know someone's talked over me in this meeting or someone presented the same idea that I just did and they were praised for it. <laughs> I had these conversations in the background and not giving credit for what I did. And, you know, I asked myself, like, is it me? Like, I, I swear I, I did everything I was supposed to do and I'm still not coming out on top. I still feel sad and depressed and anxious showing up in this space. And so once I acknowledged that I was feeling things that were not healthy for me, then I started asking myself, okay, what about this is unhealthy? What is in my control that I can shift? I can, you know, move the chess pieces to make it to where it is a healthy spot for me. And for me personally, that was just leaving toxic places altogether because mm -hmm. I tend to want to push people to ch for change. And that's not often received with open arms. That's, oh, we will, we need to do a survey. We need to do an analysis. I don't know if we can do this, but we'll put this on the five-year plan. Or I'm like, there Wait, are please, small things. <laughs> please tell me about that. Like, what, 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 do you, what did you mean? Well, you know, especially in HR and diversity, equity, inclusion, I tend to think employee first. I talk about these things, like how can you make employees feel like they can show up authentically? How are we supporting people? Because ultimately you invest in your people, you're investing in your company, but not everyone sees it that way. And I think there are small things that organizations can do 
to be able to invest in their employees. We're not asking for a lot. I just want to <laughs> be able to, I want to be able to have dinner with my kids. I yeah. want to be able to go to that sporting event, right? Like mm -hmm. I want to be able to show up to the things outside of work, but mm -hmm. I cannot do that. If you expect me to be online 12 hours a day, I cannot do that and be and take care of myself if you expect me to eat my lunch at my desk and continue to be productive and output for you right mm -hmm. if you people if you run people ragged they're not gonna last very long that's why you have turnover rates that's why you still have people mm -hmm. having to recruit a thousand miles per hour because your people are leaving because mm -hmm. you're not mm -hmm. listening to them mm -hmm. we're like oh well we can't do that we can't we can't shift we have to have core hours people need to show up to this meeting and i'm like look 90 percent of this stuff could have been an email <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's a fact 90 percent yeah. of the stuff that people want to talk about can be in an email let me know what you need let me know what the plan is cool when you need it awesome i got you instead yeah. of let's have our two-hour meeting on planning this one thing and not have any action items when we leave it how yeah. what how is that productivity it's not yeah but organizations feel like, oh, well, that's going to change our culture. It's going to be way too much change. We don't know how to handle that. So we're not going to look at that right now. We're just going to like host a pizza party and hope that it contributes to morale. <laughs> now, you putting the, now you putting on your corporate <laughs> voice as you talk about the pizza party. <laughs> you saw that infliction? <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. That that you have to bring it back because you, you developed that voice after like years, you know what I mean? Yeah, basically. Uh, well, I, mean, I gotta use it now with the skill. <laughs> <laughs> there there's certain thing that you there's certain things that you mentioned throughout that and I, I feel it's so important to to go back to it and acknowledge it, right? Like before we get into that topic, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at TreatCV19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Kinduetas is supported by First Republic Bank. At First Republic, everyone gets a personal banker who's ready to sit down and answer your questions, no matter how complex. And did you know that First Republic's commitment to extraordinary service extends beyond its clients? First Republic is committed to strengthening the communities it serves. Learn more at FirstRepublic.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This idea of, of feeling alone, I think is something that is kind of like that first step in finding out like who your authentic self really is. Like I think the, the first thing I tell everybody to do is like just realize you're not alone because when you yeah. feel alone, you feel like you're the problem. But you're not yes. the problem, right? Like it's a macro level society issue around like a lack of education around what professionalism even means, right? Yeah. But the problem before we even acknowledge that we're not alone, like I often think about like the reason why we feel like we're alone is because we don't talk about these experiences openly, mm -hmm. right? Like we can't tell our family because they're going to be like, what are you complaining about? Do you know what I had to go through? I can't tell yeah. my friends because they're going to be like, because they got cool jobs, but it ain't where you work. 
Right. You know what I mean? They'll be like, what are you complaining about? Don't you get paid whatever amount? Don't you be getting free lunch some days, whatever? So it's like, even if you do share it with people, it's a very small group. So people mm-hmm. don't end up hearing these stories, hence the cycle of feeling alone and feel like I'm the problem, et cetera. Like, that, that, that thing that you said, it was like, I just wanted to know that I wasn't crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. deep. It is deep. And you know what the difference is, is that when I felt like that, I wasn't speaking up. I internalized yeah. all of it. Exactly. Internalized all of it. And you know what? Like, I, I really need people to hear, like, that is the way the system was intended to be. Ooh, talk about that. You were supposed to feel shut down. Imposter syndrome based on white supremacy. That's because we don't meet the white standard or the proximity to whiteness. Speaking up and going against the grain, that's rooted deeply in our history, at least here in the United States. And so being able to show up and be your authentic self and find safe spaces, that in itself is a resistance. So you feel exhausted. You feel like ain't nobody got your back. But that's meant to make us feel quiet and not share and not, you know, be grounded in our power as a community and actually change something. That's intentional. That is the way the system is created. And that's why sometimes when you are the only one speaking up, it's exhausting. You move job to job. You're like, I don't have somebody in my corner helping me fight the good fight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? But I would challenge people like look past the shame, look past the the gaslighting and the things that that people say that are continuing to perpetuate that same system because it's ingrained in all of us. We we may not want to admit it, but even as people of color, we tend to perpetuate the same systems because we're operating in a in a lane of safety. Right. It's a safety mechanism. It's to like, oh, we don't want to challenge it. We need to be able to have stability. I need this job, which is valid. But just be conscious that you're still perpetuating the same ideas and the same things that keep us in a particular box. You know, I found freedom as long as, you know, as soon as I put a mic in front of myself, as soon as I started talking to other people, I say, hey, girl. Mm -hmm. This is how much I'm making. This is what I do to make sure that I'm advocating for myself. Are you doing that? And sharing stuff and being vocal about it. As soon as I started doing that, people were like, damn, Ayana, you right. Let me start that doc right now. So I know. So I'm ready. Come review season. I get that bonus and people understand what value I bring to the table. So it sounds like let me know if I'm understanding this correctly, like. You went for a long time, like a lot of people, like not sharing these experiences, like feeling like you were alone. And then is it safe to say like you started feeling more comfortable leaning into authenticity when you found, well, you started sharing your story and then found that community? Because that's the powerful piece that I think a lot of people underestimate. I always tell people like, yo, being your most authentic self is bigger than you. It's not about you. It's about the people that are looking at you. Yes. Because that's what that's what changes culture. Like you being yourself is going to inspire someone else to be themselves. Right. It's going to tell someone else that they're not crazy. Yeah. And it's a it's a ripple effect across the world. You know what I mean? So tell me about when you started to feel a little, a little bit more confident and comfortable being yourself. Like, was it like one post that people were like, yo, I fuck with that? Like, what was it? <laughs> 
I think it's a combination of things, right? And you mentioned culture. You think about culture in the HR world. We say if you've got more to, more than two people in a company, you have culture. Ooh. It takes a community to shift culture. You cannot do that alone. And you know, I, I did like multifaceted way of like leaning into this. I had to like lean hard into therapy. I had to figure out why I was hiding certain things about myself, right? Yeah. And there are some some very therapeutic things on that side, right? Like I was combating a lot of the stuff that I was just carrying generationally. I was assuming certain roles and I was put in a very specific box at an early age. I didn't know how to break out of that. I didn't know who I was outside of that. And so I just thought I was being me, but I wasn't. I was being a version of myself. And when I started talking about it and finding people who felt the same way or think about things the same way and back you up and are part of your village, right? Like, I know you, I mean, like, yo, Pavel, I experienced this thing. Like, I got to talk, brother. Like, this shit is exhausting, right? Like, I know I can do that. But before, it was it was almost like a, like a shame spiral for me to even ask for help. For me to even share that I was struggling in certain spaces, because especially now in this area of social media, we're supposed to, you know, we expected to be like thriving and you doing great. And it looks like you got all the opportunities and you live in the life. But in the background, yo, I'm lonely. I'm tired. I'm fighting mm -hmm. systems. I'm exhausted. Like mm -hmm. there's so many different dimensions. And I think we fit it, feed into that. You know, and yeah, yeah. it wasn't until I started leaning into the village that I wanted, right? It's not necessarily the one I was born into, but the one that I curated and I, you know, like really invested in is where I felt like, okay, I can be myself. I'm good. I am safe. It is okay that people don't like the way I show up. That says more about them than it does about me. Yes. Yo. I'd love to know, I mean, obviously, you've learned a ton in therapy, obviously, right? Yeah. I'll share one thing real quick that I learned in therapy that was like kind of the start of making me feel like I'm not crazy. Like, and it was such a simple question my therapist asked me, like, I forgot what I was even talking about, but she was like, yo, let me ask you a question. Like, do you think you're my only client? I was like, wait, what? She's like- <laughs> Excuse me? She was like, no, seriously, like, do you think I got to pay my bills with just you as my only client? I was like, no, nah, I'm sure you got clients. She was like, all right, so, like, you think what you're talking about, you're the only one going through that? I was Ooh. like, that's a good point. <laughs> and I was, for the first time, I felt like I was not crazy. You know what I mean? Wow. I felt that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. That's good. That's yeah, good. Yeah. And you know, that reminds me of something that my therapist told me, you know, I'm, I'm really big on I've got two kids. And I'm trying really, really hard on breaking cycles and mm. stopping some of the intergenerational trauma, right. And some of that shows up on the way that we show up to work and in the workplace and professionally. Mm. And she told me she was like, you do not have to break all the generational trauma. You do not have to carry it all at the same time. You could put that to the side, work on one today, and even that is healing in itself. So even us talking about it, even us having this conversation is 
towards healing and towards breaking some of that stereotype and that system that is working so hard against us. And I just like sat back and I was like, Ooh, I needed to hear that. Cause I really did think like, I need to solve all of it today. Like this, this shit is whack. This needs to go. She said, look, you talking about this, you talking to your kid about their feelings, you creating safe spaces is an act of resistance in itself, is breaking the generational trauma in itself. And I was like, it's simple. It's simple yeah. stuff, you know? And then the more you build on that and the more community you involve in that, you shift the culture because it takes a village. Yo, let's talk about talking about feelings because this is another piece of advice that I often give um, during my talks. They're like, I'm having a hard time explaining to my team what my experience is in corporate, right? And me personally, I've found that it's damn near impossible for me to be like, listen, manager, as a black man on this team, this is what my experience is. The response is always like, well, Pavel, like, as a, as a white man, I'm never gonna understand what your experience is, blah, blah, right? And I'm like, damn, he's right. And listen, like, that could be for any identity. Like, I'm never gonna understand what it's like to be a woman in corporate spaces, right? What I have found that's really helpful, and unfortunately, th this isn't something that I was taught even in the office. I learned this in therapy. Like, it's really helpful to communicate feelings and emotions. Like, because everyone at some point in their life has felt scared, ashamed, unsafe, unheard, um, lonely, uh, I don't know, sabotage. Whatever the emotion is, like, people understand emotions more, emotions and feelings more than they'll understand, like, your specific identity and being able to yeah. communicate that well one recognize it and then communicate that i've found that in these spaces it's a lot it's a lot easier and more effective to build empathy like i'm not saying everyone is going to get it but i found it to be a little bit more effective yeah one thousand percent and you know i'll go even a little bit further and say that mm -hmm. sometimes it's just not safe for you to express those emotions or try to get people to understand yeah like it is not our job to educate it is not our job to like bring people over the bridge and get them to all of a sudden like have this like epiphany and they get it right mm -hmm. and this goes back to authenticity like if it feels true to you to yeah. state your feelings and get your voice heard and that you are okay no matter what kind of reaction they have that's authentic for you. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all you need to do. That is all that you ha are obligated to do. It is to be authentic to yourself. It is not to get people to understand how you're being authentic, right? Like I, I have a, a lot of trouble with this as well as like wanting people to get it and wanting people to like resonate and, and want to like, oh, their reaction wasn't quite what I was looking for, right? Like I still have trouble with that. But as long as I remember, like, I'm being true to myself, I'm speaking my truth, and I'm going to be okay and walk away from it, regardless of what their reaction is, that's going to tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. No, that's fair. I often say that, like, no one can tell you what authenticity means to you. Like, that's a very individual, personal thing. I'm curious for you, though, like, today, at this point in your life, like, what side do you lean more towards? Are you just like, yo, I'm educating everybody? Or it's like, I'm tired, y'all. 
like you know what let Pavel educate them let somebody else educate them <laughs> you're like I'm, I'm walking away from as many situations as possible yeah <laughs> I think that's a great question and I, I, I'll bounce back and forth because sometimes I yeah. do like throw in the town like yo y'all not getting it somebody else take this baton because I'm tired like without an yeah. R tired it depends on the day. Kind of, it depends on the vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it depends on the vibe, but, you know, sometimes I'll be like, tired. forget it, forget it. That's going to be the title. It's going to be, I'm tired. I'm tired, y'all. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, like, I think my way of doing this work is sharing my story. It's talking about my truth. That is that is the only thing that I am truly an expert in is in my experience. Mm -hmm. And I will never get tired of my own story. My story is my power. And if you don't understand it through my story, that's okay. You probably need to go somewhere else. Right? And I had to accept that. I have to be okay with that. That the way that I educate is the way that I speak. It is through my work. It is through my podcast. It's through other avenues and having these conversations and bringing things to light. But I have to leave it right there. It is not my responsibility what people do with my story or how they, you know, continue to educate themselves after that. I had to put boundaries around it because I can't. I can't educate everybody. There's just some people who are not worth having the conversation with. Like, let's be honest. That's it. And I had to realize, I was like, you know what? This person not going to get it. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay to walk away. And I got to recognize that because you're right. So it's exhausting. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, Pavel? It's your turn. That guy not getting yeah. it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious, too, because obviously it is exhausting for all of us. Like, how optimistic are you that corporate spaces offer a place for you long term to be successful? I'm not, I'm not that optimistic for corporate spaces, not for big ones anyway. And here's why. These systems have been in place for so long that it's hard for people to grapple with change. It's hard for them to completely undo what they're used to. And I get that, like we are creatures of habit, like you just fall into a certain rhythm and that's how it happens. I just don't have enough hope in some of these really big systems to change themselves, which is why I find communities who are having the conversation, who are active in the community, who are getting people out to vote, who are having discussions about what the history that they don't talk about in schools in, like, right? Like I find the spaces that I thrive in, that I can have like-minded conversation or even be challenged, right? Cause there's, I don't know everything, right? but still have like a healthy place to do that. I don't think that corporate America, the way that it exists today is that place for me. I just don't. That's why I walked away. I cannot change corporate America on my own. And there are not enough people doing the work collectively to be able to shift corporate America in the next five to 10 years. You, know, you think about it after George Floyd, People protested, they made promises, they, you know, they said, we're going to donate to XYZ, but where's the change? Yeah. Where's the legislation? Where are the different systems that are going to address mental health in schools for kids? Where are the different alternatives to, instead of calling 911, 
that someone else responds when there's a mental crisis. There is 988, but it's still young and they're still trying it out, right? There's still going to be different iterations of it. But there are so many things systemically that are just fueling everything together that it's it's exhausting. It's exhausting. That's why you find small pockets. That's that's what gives me hopes. So the small pockets of the community and being and being able to feed off of people's energy and that way that keeps me going. But corporate America is not where that is for me. It's an important point to note though, right? Because I mean there's a ton of data, stories, articles about people quitting to the point where where they're just like I don't even want to go back into the office because it's a drain of energy, right? Yeah. Um, there's the big quit. There's there's a bunch of like different hiring trends that I think companies are starting to notice. Um, and maybe that'll make a change. But it's interesting you mentioned even the, the, the murder of George Floyd. And there was this interesting article that came out as well from, oof, I forget what it's called. I'll, I'll send it to you after though, but... There was so much good data out there. There was even this data point. I think it said like companies that made public pledges after the murder of George Floyd had 20% fewer black employees compared to companies that didn't make promises. And it was this it was this kind of visual of like people that aren't making public pledges are doing the work and don't have to make the rah-rah noise or the performativeness, mm -hmm. but people that are doing these performative promises want to get ahead of it, want the publicity, want to say like, look, we're doing this, but it's all kind of like marketing versus yeah. actually putting the work in. It's fascinating. Yeah. I got to share it to you. I got to share oh, it Oh yeah, you. I think I know which one you're talking about because you're like less than 1% of the money that was promised has actually been donated and, and uh, invested in those programs. Uh, yeah, there was like billions of dollars that were yeah. promised and it's nowhere to be found. Like, where is the money? Because yeah. you could fund a lot of programs and a lot of systems that would do some really good work yeah. if we actually put it in the right places. But it didn't happen, you know? And I think you bring up a great point. I think the, the workforce now can see right through that. Mm -hmm. we, we can tell the difference. We could sniff it out when you just put in stuff out for marketing and PR and the like save face. And, you know, trying to protect your stock price instead of actually investing in that community or actually doing something to support. Right. You know, the same thing goes for um, Roe v. Wade. When Roe v. Wade fell, you could tell the difference when employers were doing stuff internally to support their employees versus the folks that came out and were like, oh, we support reproductive rights. Blah, blah, blah. OK, but what are you doing? Oh, right. Yeah. You know, I think we could see right through that and people are being held accountable. I just don't know that that employers have the right answer. Right. Like they they they're so used to doing, oh, well, we support you. Support is not enough. Prayers are not enough. Where are you putting your money? Where are you actually investing your time? Because that is what's going to change. That is what's going to make this different for people who are historically marginalized. Until then, it's going to it's going to go in the same cycle. Yeah, and until then, people, corporations and companies are are losing out on talented individuals like yourself, which is yeah. unfortunate. Because um, it's not only it's a win win for both of us, right? If if it is a safe, thriving environment. That said, to wrap up because we're we're running out of time, 
I love the place where you are now, obviously, but but we're not done growing. We're still growing. Yeah. I'm, I want to know as you look forward, uh, what's one thing that inspires, empowers you to continue being your most authentic self? That's a really great question. I'm going to try not to get emotional while I answer this, but it's my kids. My kids are obviously like I want myself to be good, but my kids looking at me and seeing the example of what they can be is everything I need to keep going. I was working really long hours and I was stressed and all this other stuff. And my son looked at me, he was like, mommy, why are you so tired? Why are you working so much? Can you watch a movie with me? And it's so simple, such a simple question. Like to him, he's like, yo, I want to spend time with my mom. But to me, I see that he can read the nuances of, yo, I'm stressed going into this hamster wheel every day. I'm not spending enough time with my kids. I'm not showing up for them the way that I really want to. And that's all I need. If I'm not showing up for my kids exactly the way that I need to, I'm not doing it right. Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Kim Duetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. I see you next week.